This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of February 24, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 121 of Defender Radio. We're going to be focusing on conservation this week, taking a look at two areas that are of regular interest and importance to both us and our membership. First up in our interviews is Rob Laidlaw of Zoo Check Canada, who will take us through a discourse of the role zoos play in species conservation, following a report on the Public Library of Science indicating that zoos just aren't doing their part. Then we'll be hearing from Heidi Perryman of the Give a Damn website, who will be telling us how beavers she helped to protect in Martinez, California nearly a decade ago are now keeping an entire ecosystem thriving while the rest of the state suffers through drought conditions. Before we get into it, we need to talk a bit about news that hit Canada last week regarding a new television series. Defender Radio News Simply put, it's absurd. A new television show, set to air this fall on specialty television station Wild TV, is following the chronicles of a 31-year-old trapper in the Northwest Territories. Andrew Stanley is the focus of the reality television show, and the one-camera, one-story plot follows him as he works his 80-kilometer trap line in subarctic terrains. It should come as little surprise that the Fur Harvesters Auction, one of the largest fur auction houses in Canada, is sponsoring this little endeavor. As a massive industry, the fur lobby regularly sponsors and funds marketing campaigns, and we see this television show as just one more marketing campaign. In a situation like this, we get frustrated. We know that this is not only marketing drivel from the fur industry, but blatant lying as well. Now, more than ever, we encourage you to share our website, this episode of Defender Radio and others, our literature, and our messages. The leg hole trap is still legal in Canada. Trapping always has been and always will be inherently cruel. And there is no need for fur. Spread the word. It may be good enough for paid cable when funded by a lobby group, but Andrew Stanley's career of pain is not good enough for the rest of Canada. Find out more about how you can get involved by visiting FurBearDefenders.com. Defender Radio News A study published in the Public Library of Science recently is indicating that zoos aren't doing their share of conservation work. According to the authors, only 23% of the terrestrial vertebrae species in zoos are threatened, and if the zoo community wants to contribute, they need to start working with conservationists. Joining us to discuss the realities of the conservation efforts by zoos is Rob Laidlaw of ZooCheck Canada. Thanks for joining us, Rob. This study looks at what's being done for conservation by zoos and comes to the conclusion that it's not enough. Can you explain your thoughts on whether or not zoos are capable of contributing to conservation efforts? I think that the traditional method that zoos regard to helping animals uh, through conservation is focused on captive breeding and for anyone who examines captive breeding in zoo environments in detail you'll find out that what zoos uh, portray is largely a mythology that they've actually made very very 
little uh, contribution towards uh, conservation through captive propagation and reintroduction of animals to the wild. Uh, I think the areas where zoos could, in theory, uh, play a significant role is if they focused almost entirely on extremely small species of animals that need help. Uh, and there has been sort of token involvement in some of those, like the Oregon spotted frog and creatures like that. Uh, but more importantly, I think zoos could, uh, in future, if, if they uh, had the motivation and uh, followed through, they could make a contribution to uh, providing funding for field conservation projects that would actually not only help uh, you know, the charismatic megavertebrate species, but all of the smaller species that live in those environments and the wild habitats themselves. Because this idea that, that zoos uh, currently uh, portray that they're out there um, you know, making all these changes happening and helping the world of wildlife. I think it's largely a mythology. When we're talking about protecting a species and conserving them, is keeping the species literally alive in the zoo the equivalent of keeping them alive as a species for the purpose of biodiversity in the wild? No, because uh, for many species, you're going to have uh, very rapid changes uh, in behavior. You're going to have, for some species, uh, loss of cultures, like in elephants and dolphins and other animals. Uh, and you're going to have uh, physical changes, so the physiology of animals will change, and there will even be changes at the genetic level. And this is something that happens very, very rapidly, and there's an emerging body of, of uh, peer-reviewed science on that. Um, so if you're looking at uh, captive breeding, what you're uh, hoping to do, if you're doing it in a legitimate way, is to take animals, uh, to breed them, and to put them back out into the wild as rapidly as possible. Uh, because the longer you have them in captivity, the, the greater the changes that occur. So, you know, if it's a very long-term process of, of decades or hundreds of years, like some of the zoo programs seem to be uh, talking about, then, you know, the end product, the end animal after all those years in captivity may be very, very different than the one you started with that you were trying to conserve. So the whole idea is use captive breeding as a last-ditch effort with the fastest possible turnaround to get animals back into the wild so that you mitigate against these changes. And you also don't create a situation in which it then becomes harder uh, for habitat preservation and all of that. Uh, you know, if you've removed the animals, then you may have removed the argument for preserving the habitat. Um, now, zoos, they, they look at it completely differently. They tend to look at all of these programs as first-line conservation strategies. You know, let's not deal with the wild. Uh, let's not deal with poaching and pollution and habitat fragmentation and all this. They say, let's get a bunch of animals and create this insurance population and keep them for, uh, you know, the usual timelines discussed as 10 generations or, or 100 years. Um, and that's crazy. That's crazy. You want to use captive breeding uh, as a stopgap measure to get animals back into the wild as fast as possible. The takeaway from this article that I got is unless everyone works together, not just zoos, but conservationists. The efforts of zoos to protect species is really not going to have any long-term impact. Is that something we should be looking towards? Pushing zoos, especially those in the public realm, 
to get more involved internationally rather than just showing off their exhibits? I, I think what you see, if you look at things on an international basis, you'll find that the zoo industry is inserting themselves into all kinds of international bodies, including the captive breeding specialist group. If you look at you know, the members who attend their meetings, it tends to be zoo-based. And I think this is something where they're trying to uh, insert uh, a very useless strategy of, uh, you know, of, of captive breeding of a broad range of species. Uh, and the creation of insurance populations into uh, all of these uh, different bodies that deal with conservation. And I think it, that that's bad news. It's, it's a distraction. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of time. I think that, uh, you know, if zoos are going to make a difference, they have to focus on things on a local basis. They have to reduce their uh, collection sizes and focus more on animals that actually need help. And, you know, more importantly, they have to uh, start making a, a, a real contribution uh, to the protection of animals in the wild. Uh, most zoos uh, make no contribution, zero contribution to the protection of animals in the wild. And for those that do, it's typically less than one half of 1% of the budgets that they command on an annual basis. So they really aren't, aren't doing very much. But I think this idea that we have to work with zoos, that we have to get them involved in all these international conservation uh, uh, strategies and, and activities. I, I don't think that's productive. I think that will just distract because what you know, those zoo people draw uh, the discussion into all the things that they're doing, which are basically useless. I would say, let's just stop this. If they want to contribute to things in the wild, that's great. But let's not uh, get them involved in every process out there because they will only be a distraction and they will only slow things down and they will divert all this time, energy and resources into things that aren't productive. Learn more about Rob Laidlaw and his work by visiting zoocheck.com. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, We're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing Keystone species. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at bearsmart.com. Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg hold, conibear, and other body gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. 
I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at FurBearerDefenders.com to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends. This is Defender Radio. Keep listening to Defender Radio in the coming weeks, as we'll be bringing you special episodes looking at notorious slap suits plaguing advocates from coast to coast, how small businesses and individuals are making new APFA programs possible, and as always, the latest news and opinions from the world's leading experts on everything wildlife. Like us at facebook.com slash furfree, or follow us on Twitter at furbearers, to stay up to date with new episodes of Defender Radio. Several years ago, Heidi Perryman picked a fight and won. She was one of many community members in Martinez, California, who wanted to see her neighbors coexist with beavers that had found a home amongst them. Largely due to her efforts and her ongoing educational initiatives through the Give a Damn website, the beavers are continuing to live happily. A recent article, however, has shown this to be a great told-you-so moment for Perryman and her cohorts. A drought punishing the area is being mitigated by the water preserved by the beavers. Heidi joins us to talk about this fascinating lesson in conservation. Let's start at the beginning. What happened in 2007? Okay, so actually in 2006, some beavers moved into our creek. And um, this was a creek that they had just done a lot of flood work on. They had installed a lot of concrete, you know, to protect the bridges. And because of the concrete, they needed to install a little natural area to compensate. And the little natural area was exactly where the beavers moved in. So we had a male and a female beaver come in, and they built a dam and a lodge. And because this was right in the middle of downtown, everybody could see them, all the jurors on the way to the courtroom, all the kids on the way to school, everyone could see these beavers, and people got really engaged with them. And by the time the city decided that the dam posed a risk of flooding and the beavers needed to be killed, um, people really objected. So there was a big response. There was a huge meeting to discuss the fate of the beavers. In California, relocation isn't legal. Um, So there was a decision to um, try installing a flow device and see if it would work. Uh, Probably no one really believed it would work. But um, we brought in an expert from Vermont, Skip Lyle, and he installed a flow device at the dam that controlled the pond height and allowed the beavers to remain. And that was six years ago, and we haven't had any concerns about flooding since that time. What's happening with the environment in Martinez, California? Yeah, well, not just in Martinez, but the entire state of California has been declared an area of drought. And um, one of the things that happens is that all our our late ephemeral streams, even the ones that don't usually dry up, dry up. Um, the plants dry up. There is a higher risk of fire danger for a longer period of time, and people get really anxious about this. Um, and it means we don't get the snowpack that helps us later. So, um, so our particular creek used to dry up every year, but now that the beavers are here, it doesn't. 
So beavers are raising the water table, they're keeping water on the land, and they are preventing the kind of conditions that we're most anxious about. After so many people were talking about getting rid of beavers, and now you've got ducks in the middle of the city during a drought, what are people saying today? You know, we've got mink in the middle of the city. We've got otter in the middle of the city. So I think that the alarm of the beavers is pretty much over. People are done being anxious about them um, to the extent that there are, I mean, people are partly done paying attention to them because it's not on the news every week. But um, the people who are still observing them are still enjoying them. We have a lot of people who walk down in the evenings to see the wildlife and just to watch the beavers. Um, you know, there are several connected trails to um, to wetlands in the area that really uh, feed into the beaver stream. And it's, a, it's something that people come to Martinez just to enjoy. If I said to you several years ago, you're not only going to save these beavers, but the entire state is going into a drought and the beavers will end up saving the day, what would you think? Well, I um, I had no idea it would take as much work as it has to save these beavers. I really thought we had science on our side, we had people on our side, we had en- the media on our side, we had enough of a push that this would all be resolved in six months. It never occurred to me that, you know, seven years later I would still be pushing for the right thing to continue to happen. It, it is actually much, much harder to change minds than it is to solve problems. The Fur Bears team is going to be going across the country, working with municipalities to install beaver devices and coexistence strategies beginning this spring. If you could say something to these and other communities, what would you offer? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the most compelling things, I think, for communities is just that that it saves time and it saves money. Um, We're talking about taxpayer dollars going for a a solution that is going to not need to be repeated every six months. You know, when you hire a trapper, you have to bring them in again the next time beavers come. And if you install a flow device properly, you won't have to address this issue again in six years, seven years. And so I I really try as much as possible to talk about the fiscal value of solving beaver problems humanely because I think that really gets cities' attention. You are putting an investment in your creek, and the watershed is getting transformed because of the beavers. Um, Beavers are used for restoration all over the country. It is a very um, cost-effective way to make a huge difference in your watershed, both in terms of the animals that live there, the fish, the insects, everything that relies on that watershed um, really benefits from the investment you put in your beaver population. To find out more about Heidi's work, visit the Give a Damn website at martinasbeavers.com. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control for his support of Defender Radio, as well as all of you for taking the time to join us. On behalf of Fur Bear Defenders and Defender Radio, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.